Hello, I'm Gavin Esler, Chancellor of the University of Kent. Welcome to In Conversation, a series of conversations with extraordinary, interesting people at the university's Gulbenkian Theatre. The idea is to demonstrate the university is quite simply plugged into our wider culture and society with writers, authors, actors and others. All proceeds from the series go to the Kent Opportunity Fund to support scholarships, student projects, bursaries and to relieve financial hardship. The series is interactive. You can contact us, comment and ask questions of future guests on Twitter. Hashtag Gavin Asks. And we welcome your feedback or come along to the next series at the Gobenkian Theatre and ask your own questions of our distinguished guests, as you will hear audience members doing in a moment. This In Conversation is with Brenda Blethen. My name's April McMahon and I'm Deputy Vice-Chancellor Education here at the University of Kent. And Fee Glover, who was um, meant to be here and fully intended to be here, guest presenting in place of, of Gavin tonight, has very sadly had to withdraw. And she sent us the following message. She says, I'm so sorry not to be with you tonight. I was really looking forward to the evening and to meeting Brenda. I look forward to watching the recording and I wish you all the best. So no pressure, April, then. <laughs> so, um, Brenda's brother quite rightly said um, just beforehand that not only have you got the understudy, you've got the understudies understudy. <laughs> so, but I've got to tell you, if there was ever a profession that might sympathise with the plight of the understudies understudy, it would be an act war. <laughs> so I think we, we, we might be all right, you know, we might be all right. Um, and more to the point, Fee has sent through her notes, and I, for one, am eternally grateful. Oh. So I would like to welcome, on all our behalves, Brenda Blethyn OBE. <laughs> It's a pleasure to be here, thank you. So a very warm welcome to Gulbenkian at the University of Kent. And uh, we are here for an absolute treat. We're here to, to converse, and that means you as well as me in conversation is not a spectator sport. So get your questions ready because I'll be coming to you in, in, in due course. And we've had some questions by social media already. And I'll be trying to work those seamlessly into, um, into what, we're, <laughs> what we're doing up here. Um, Brenda Blethyn is one of our finest actresses for her ability to convey all those multifaceted um, uh, elements of human experience, from the pain and heartache of secrets and lies, to the comedy of pride and prejudice, to the determination of Vera. Um, which is now in its seventh series on, on ITV, which is nothing short of remarkable in this do-it-and-throw-it-away culture that you sometimes find in the TV world. More to the point for us, um, you are no stranger to Kent. No, I, I, was, I was born and grew up in Ramsgate. Uh, I'm the youngest of a very large family, the youngest of nine. Uh, number six is here tonight. <laughs> Look, number six and number nine. Is, is there any, anybody from Ramsgate in? That's a bit rubbish. Actually. <laughs> 
we should have planted a few out there, never mind. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got three children and people mm. look at you with that kind of, three, well, that's quite a lot. You've been oh, busy nine. kind of look. You yeah, know? my mum was one of 15. So <laughs> yeah, no television in those days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, growing up, I mean, it was difficult. We were very poor, and uh, the whole lot of us were crammed into a house with only two bedrooms, um, only cold water, outside lavatory, no electricity. I mean, <laughs> the young people today really haven't got a clue what those kind of hardships were like when we've all got labour-saving devices. And mum uh, sort of run the household, keeping down several jobs and looking at us, uh, us lot uh, with no uh, domestic aids at all. So it was quite wonderful. And we had no television, uh, obviously. Uh, not many people did in those days. Uh, but neither... Uh, well, sometimes we had the radio, but that would get cut off if we hadn't paid the bill. Uh, so to amuse us all, that mum and dad would set us projects to do when we'd make up little plays, or dad would tell us stories and we'd sit round his feet and uh, he'd repeat the stories over and over again. And it was just, just wonderful. And I think probably that's where I've got my um, the lust for entertaining, if you like. Um, but that's kind of more on a social level. I had no idea I would ever be an actor. I didn't even know it was a job. <laughs> My dad would take me to the cinema um, once a week. And in those days, there were lots of cinemas in Ramsgate. There was the Odeon, uh, the Palace, the Kings, the Picture House, which is a bit of a flea pit. Um, <laughs> But to me, all those people up on the screen were from Mars. I didn't realise uh, that they were real people and that was a, a job. It just never entered my head. So becoming an actor was never anything I ever dreamed of. It just wasn't in my, in my sphere of vision at all. Um, and what young ladies did then was um, go to commercial college, most people I knew, and to learn secretarial skills, which is what I did, mm -hmm. and went off to London to work. And, mm -hmm. and your, your family, you've talked about the, you know, to some extent, the kind of deprivation of that, but mm. the, you, your family didn't see themselves as poor. Uh, no, mum said to me once, uh, she said, stop it, she said, we're not poor, we just haven't got any money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're just broke, that's not always gonna be the case, hopefully. But um, whilst we were very poor in material things, you know, we were rich in other things. Uh, there was lots and lots of laughter in our house, um, lots of rows, lots of clouts, and <laughs> um, but it was in equal measure. And I feel so sad today when people are in you know, sort of not very good circumstance and have unhappy lives, that there's not that... Uh, love and uh, help that kind of balances it out and laughter and um, but fortunately we had that in equal measure mm. and your family now must be well quite substantial I suppose if your, your <laughs> yeah. mum was one of 15 and you're one of I, nine yeah, oh yeah there's loads I didn't even know how many there are actually there's loads of them yeah loads <laughs> of them <laughs> Very good. Loads of them all do nicely right. for, for now. So, so you went off to secretarial 
College. Yes, in, in um, uh, Sanitech, yeah. and, uh, and then went off to work in a bank in London. But at the time, um, well, I could have been the first wag, you know, wives of wives of, because <laughs> I was engaged to a footballer <laughs> uh, who played for Crystal Palace. But of course, that was in the days when they weren't earning a fortune. He probably got fifty quid a week, which to us then seemed a fortune. Um, and then he uh, um, moved back to Ramsgate and wanted me to move back to, and I so did not want to leave my job. Uh, my good job at the bank, but uh, move back I did. And within a week or so of being back, um, something happened and I didn't want to know him anymore. Um, I, I think he found somebody else. I think that might be it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I was so upset. My brother Bill, wherever you are, he it was at University uh, College London at the time. He came straight down. He says, Bren, see if that job's still available. You can go back to that job. I said, no, I can't. It would be somebody else or whatever. He said, well, let's ring them up and see. And sure enough, they said, yes, we'd love you to come back. So oh. off I went back to London. He's come to my rescue several times, yes. So if it <laughs> and he bought me a gown and took me oh. to a ball with the Queen Mother. So, yes. mm. so if it doesn't work out with all this acting, you could go back to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> I could. I use shorthand typing all the time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's Excellent. very, very useful. See, we talk about transferable skills <laughs> to our students. We absolutely yeah. do. But it wasn't until I was... Um, I then did temporary work, and I was working for British Rail. And one day, uh, a lady burst into the office. She said, oh, Brenda, can you help us out? We're entering um, a, a, a one-act play competition in Manchester, and one of our actresses... Uh, is ill and we need you to help us out. I said, I couldn't do that. What, get on stage? No, I, I couldn't possibly do that. They said, please, we're desperate. That's why we're asking you. <laughs> so, see, they said, it's only one line. Please, will you? I said, oh. Can you remember what the one line? I can, actually. Can, can you do it's, it it's a, for us? It's a, it's a real dirty old night. Evans the post says the mist is right down to the pass. Quite thick, he said it was. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't win. <laughs> you were robbed. You were robbed. <laughs> yeah, so, and that was my introduction to amateur dramatics. And um, I just loved the whole camaraderie of it. There was somebody painting the scenery, somebody running up the costumes, somebody fixing the light bulbs, somebody, you know, sawing a lump of wood for the set. And I thought, how lovely this is. All these skills coming into play to create this one evening's entertainment. Someone designing the poster, selling tickets. And so I joined the group. And uh, they did several plays a year at the Rudolf Steiner Theatre in London, and I was um, a pretty little thing then, and, uh, so I, and looked much younger than my years. Um, I wish that was still the case. <laughs> sure it is. And um, I got to play all the ingenue parts, and uh, as with anything, the more you do, the better you get. And people started to say, do you know what, Brenda, you could be professional. I said, oh, don't be so silly. They said, you could go to drama school. You should, you really should. I said, what, give up my good job to pursue a hobby? No. But then the more people said it, I secretly thought, 
well, I, I just love working in the theatre. I wonder if I could do it. So without telling anybody, I applied to Guildford School of Acting. And uh, I went along to audition and they offered me a place, which was, was wonderful. But in the meantime, um, I, I was married and moved to Chichester and uh, was a member of the Chichester Players. But um, my husband fell in love with somebody else and uh, got a story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but I decided to pursue this and off I went to Guildford. And it was the, uh, the making of me. It was a wonderful, wonderful place. Mm. Living with Bill again and his wife putting me up. They must be, I hate that phone ringing. No, it's not Brenda again, is it? <laughs> and, and, and you went straight into stage work, essentially. Uh, yeah, well, I, I uh, went to drama school mm -hmm. uh, just to work in theatre. Yeah. It never entered my head that I would ever be in, on television or in a film mm -hmm. or radio, even. It was just to work, and that's all I knew from the amateur dramatics. Mm. And, um, and before I finished my course, um, a few terms before the end, I was offered a job with the London Bubble Theatre Company, which was, um, I think it still operates actually, which was um, a company that performed in a big yellow tent and it would go to various boroughs in London. And they had a, a repertoire of plays. Um, uh, the ones that I did was under Milkwood, um, an improvised play uh, uh, about uh, real ale, um, a, a musical about Jack the Ripper, if you can believe. <laughs> oh, there was one awful, awful lyric, and I had to sing a song. I was a tart. <laughs> and I had to sing, what a start is, what an art is, what a pippa. And a mazer with a razor, oh, Jack the Ripper. <laughs> and isn't that awful? <laughs> Just such bad taste. <laughs> um, and a children's show, but unfortunately... <laughs> but unfortunately, the children's show took place in the park, and I was playing, for some inexplicable reason, a lady with a bucket on her foot. <laughs> And I had to jump on a log, so jump on the log I did, and it disturbed uh, a swarm of bees that promptly stung every child inside. <laughs> so, oh, so that was my story. <laughs> Not in a bubble theatre. And we hear mm. from, from lots of film actors now mm. that, oh, you know, they, they, they want to go back to the classical theatre, and you yeah. went in the other... Direction. Yeah. Well, I never had any aspirations at all mm. to uh, the, uh, the first telly I did. I think Richard Eyre recommended a um, uh, to Mike Lee. Mm. I'd done a small part in the Imitation Game prior to that, but um, my introduction to Mike Lee, who I've learnt more from than anybody else in the business, and I owe a great debt to. Um, he was uh, producing a play uh, for the BBC, and this one was called Grown Ups. Um, but uh, all of Mike's films are all totally improvised, but it's not the sort of improvisation that you might know and understand, thinking, oh, well, I've got a good idea, I'll go in and do that. It's not like that at all. 
because you, you, the research is so thorough in creating the character. You start with a germ of an idea, uh, sort of a, uh, the germ of a, an idea of an, a characteristic of somebody you, you've met at some time down the line. And you just, you're not recreating that character, you're just building a completely new person, but with that characteristic in mind. And you create a whole history, and it takes months and months, and tiniest uh, detail, uh, the earliest memory, what was the room like that you can, when you woke up in the morning, what sounds would come from the house, what was the view from the window, what did the bed linen feel like, um, what smells were coming from the kitchen. So all these things, in the minutest of detail, you would layer upon layer build up. So that when eventually you come to do an improvisation, you've brought a memory with you. So you only behave and react as that person would do in that given situation. If that's nothing, then you do nothing. Um, and uh, it would take nine months for me to explain it to you fully. But it is the most rewarding uh, way to work. It's absolutely wonderful. No wonder his films are so good. Mm. And that's how you got to Cynthia, which is one of the parts that lots of us here will know you. Yeah, Cynthia was the second time I worked with, with Mike, yes, and he worked in exactly the same way. I don't know how, really, they, uh, working in that way, how he does things like topsy-turvy or Turner, because they're based on uh, real people. So I'd, I'd like to have been a fly on the wall in that. Mm. And Cynthia, you, you won Best Actress at Cannes, among other uh, awards. I, I did. I, I was thrilled with it. But because of the, the way it's created, um, I didn't know what the film was about totally until I went to see it in the cinema. Because the scenes that I'm not in, I wasn't in, I didn't know about. Um, for, uh, for those of you who saw um, Secrets and Lies, um, uh, my character hadn't visited his, her brother for a long time, for a couple of years. And um, I thought, and indeed the character thought, that the brother's wife had had a baby and they didn't want the baby contaminated by Cynthia turning up. But... Uh, nothing was further from the truth. When I got there, I was as surprised as everybody else was. Mm. And does it ever happen in that kind of improvised setting that the conversation starts to go in a direction that Mike Lee isn't necessarily comfortable with? Is that um, possible? He'll, he'll always be comfortable if it's organic, yeah. if it's come from a real place. Mm. Um, He's not interested in you trying to be clever or um, invent something for the sake of it, because he'll be onto that in a shot. <laughs> He's only interested in it being organic. But, I mean, sometimes things go wrong. I remember in an improvisation with myself and Timothy Spall, we were sat in Cynthia's flat, and I came on the telly. Oh, sorry, <laughs> 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 I mean, what can you do in those situations? So that's quite funny. <laughs> And how is it working in that kind of context when you're improvising a piece mm. among the actors? Is it a different kind of relationship from the one where you're working with the script? Well, you absolutely remain in character until mm. Mike Lee says, come out of character. Um, there's a scene in Secrets and Lies. There's a barbecue scene. 
And um, the improvisations, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about eight people in the scene. But they all come from different parts of London to, to arrive at that place. And that's what we did. We came, I was in Stoke Newington somewhere. And we got a taxi, and we're in character in the taxi. The taxi driver didn't know what he'd hit him. <laughs> There's this rowing going on in the taxi. But you stay absolutely true to the character, and we all tip up at this barbecue. And nobody knows that the other daughter is going to turn up. <coughs> Cynthia didn't know, um, because you absolutely do not discuss anything so that spontaneity is maintained. Um, and it, it was such a shock, it was riveting when uh, the other daughter turned up. And what happened, happened. But we're not improvising on camera. When we come to film it, we just... Oh, 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 and I should add that that improvisation took nine hours. In the film, it's, I don't know, about ten minutes or something. And so it gets edited down and Mike keeps just what he needs for the, for the drama. Mm. And then how does it feel going back to a script-based Oh, well, it's just, um, it's, uh, that's no hardship. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the difference is how you arrive at yeah. the script. Mm. Uh, however, on a Mike Leaf, and we don't, the actors don't see a script. We know, I mean, it's come from our own heads, so we absolutely know what it is. Um, we don't know what the, the scenes we're not in, no idea. Um, it's just how you arrive at a script. Mike arrives at his script in that way. Um, scripted pieces, I don't know, someone might be writing a script on a bus. Somebody might be overhearing conversations and writing things down. Or someone sits alone on a hilltop and is inspired and writes it down. So it's just all the different ways. And, and there's something hugely touching about that story in secrets and lies, you know, about mm -hmm. that, that relationship. Yes. Um, where do you get that from, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're improvising? Um, a, a, a kind of relationship that you may well not have had, you know? Yeah. Where, where it's just, it's really doing the homework, actually, mm. to being thorough in um, an understanding. I mean, yeah, I suppose you've got to have lived in the world to um, understand some things. I'm often asked, is there anything of you in the characters you play? Well, there's got to be something, because of my experiences come with it, but it's not. But then that could be a similar experience to what you've had. So um, it, it's just trying to understand those emotions, really, and where to apply uh, that. And it's empathizing with the character. I mean, there's always a, a third eye here monitoring this. I mean, for instance, in the cafe, when she says, um, this, the character says, I've never been with a black man in my life, darling. I'd have remembered. Now, there's, <laughs> now, she, now you see, you're laughing. She didn't yeah. think that was funny. <laughs> so, <coughs> this me up here, I thought that people would laugh at that. But she meant it absolutely sincerely. And so you have to kind of monitor that. And when the daughter turns up, to me, uh, to her, it's, it's 27 years gap. To me, it's a couple of months. So you've got to channel that information through as if it's distant. So it's just doing your homework and uh, paying attention and concentrating on it, really. 
And when you've As with any, anything we do. And when you've been involved in a piece of work like that, which you mm. must know is something special and it's yeah. going to be special to people, yeah. do you ever go back and watch yourself again? Yes, I do sometimes, and sometimes I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I think, oh, oh, I hope nobody else sees that. And sometimes, uh, Marianne Jean-Baptiste and I, um, when we were promoting Secrets and Lies, we went up, all over the world. Um, I suppose the furthest we, we went was South Korea, we went to Rio, where they lost all our luggage. Anyway, there's one place in, uh, in uh, San Francisco we went and we had to wait for a Q&A with the audience. And uh, we all dressed up, you know, you're uh, representing the film, so you dress nicely. And one lady came out, she says, oh my, Miss Blethen, oh my, oh, oh my, excuse me, excuse me. I said, oh, okay, can I, would you like to sit down? She said, no, but you, I have to tell you, you. I thought, wow, I've really moved this woman. She must have thought I was marvelous. She says, you are wearing the best pair of shoes I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> True. It's fantastic. <laughs> so then, uh, you've, you've got these fantastic, empathetic performances, and then you, 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 you go and play Mrs. Bennett, you know, in, in Pride and Prejudice. Oh, and and yeah. you seem so, in that portrayal, so much more sympathetic to her than most of us uh, would be, I suspect. Well, I knew they were making Pride and Prejudice, and I thought, please, please come and ask me to play Mrs. Bennett. <laughs> please, but they didn't. Um, they, uh, they'd, I knew they'd cast an American actress in the role, and I was making a film in the Isle of Man, and, and I would ring my agent, said, have they asked, have they phoned? But she says, no, they haven't. I said, well, can't you just inquire? She says, no, I know it's not going to work. So I thought, oh, well, that's one I would like to have done. Well, about three weeks before it was due to start, my agent called me in the Isle of Man and says, the producer and director want to come and see you about Mrs. Bennett. <gasps> oh, why, what's, ha what's happened? Anyway, over they came, and I thought, well, I've got to be honest. They asked me what I thought of Mrs. Bennett. I said, well, here's what I think. I said, she's often talked about as a cartoon character. Even a daughter writes about her as a cartoon character. Most teenagers find their parents embarrassing. She's the only one taking the problem seriously. As soon as father dies, the, the, all the money goes down the male line. Stop really, she's got to get one of them married off to keep the other, the roof over that. She's the only one taking the problem seriously. So I will not hear of her being a cartoon character. She might irritate, that, I'd take that, but she's not uh, a comic. Um, she's not um, to be ridiculed in my book. And, um, and off they went. <coughs> I thought, well, that's sad. Didn't hear anything the next day. <laughs> and then my agent called. She said, well, are you going to do it or not? They're on tenterhooks. I said, oh, I thought I was waiting for them. <laughs> she says, no, they really want you to play the part. It was Annette Benning was going to play it. <laughs> oh, I love. I think she's great. <laughs> and then there's Little Voice, which I guess oh. is another one that oh, many of yes. us have. <laughs> Um, it was so lovely working with Jane on that and Michael Caine and the director was very clever uh, when we were filming that because it, the, the first scene from myself and Michael Caine 
was when she runs out of the house and launches herself on him and kisses him, snogs him. So that got that right out of the way. And he was, he was great to work with. But she was um, uh, an extraordinary character. But I do try to find out why people are the way they are. Um, there was a film, there was a scene in the film actually that was cut <coughs> by the um, uh, people who own it um, because it made Cynthia too sympathetic. There was a bit where she's um, talking, she's drunk, she's got hiccups, she's, <laughs> she's talking to little voice in bed and she says, ah, come on, little voice, love, you know, just just go, go sing for this bloke, just just the once, you know, you, lovey. And it gets out of the shit, lovey. You just help us out. You only got to sing it once. Um, and it was all the reasons why she was helping it, but that was cut from the film. Mm. So, mm. and um, when we when we were um, working up in Scarborough, I think it was, we went to a, a club down um, on the seafront. There was an Elvis lookalike, mm. uh, an Elvis impersonator. And uh, we thought, oh, wow, what fun it would have to, for him to come and sing at our rap party. And uh, we told him who we were. He said, if Michael Caine wants to see me, he can come here. <laughs> 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 so we told him. <laughs> and the next time we went, halfway through his session, the door opened and in came Michael <laughs> with a flat cap on. Yeah. <laughs> People's eyes came out of their heads. <laughs> do, do you ever wish for a really villainous, terrible, hideous... Well, art? often people thought that about Vera <laughs> when she first came out. Oh, what a scary... Look at her, a lummox of a woman. Look at her, she's just so grumpy. But I think um, people started to like her because Joe, her sidekick, liked her, and they adored him. <laughs> uh, and he was great to work with. Um, but people have warmed to Vera a bit, I think. But a really villainous person, well, like in something, a Game of Thrones or something like that, like a real uh, toothless harridan, yes. Yeah. Your, your phone will go in a second. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be nice. Is, is, um, there must be something glorious playing Vera about not needing to be glamorous all the time. Oh, no, yeah, that is uh, great. But it's um, but it, it's quite a bit of makeup on there to make it look like there's nothing. And I'm sort of growing into the part, which is <laughs> useful. I won't have to wear so much padding. But the costumes are so cleverly designed that everything ends here so that... that the more, and there's it's layers, living out on that headland, you know to wear layers. Um, and uh, everything about her is practical. Um, I love the character. Anne Cleves, who wrote the books, um, has written a couple more Vera stories since we've been, uh, since it's been a TV series. And I was very flattered to read, and indeed she's told me that when she's writing them now, she writes with my voice in her head. Yeah, that's yeah. a fantastic mm. tribute, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. And and those good reviews. What do you do with the good reviews, and what do you do with the bad reviews? Um, I read them. Uh, some people don't read them. Some are upsetting. Um, in fact, uh, there was one review from Little Voice. One of them, I can't remember who it was, said, 
oh, why couldn't they get a nice actress to play this part? <laughs> I thought, well, that's, that's the characters, not me. <laughs> um, you take it all with a pinch of salt, even the glowing ones, you know, it's fish paper tomorrow. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, mm. And yeah. how was it, this is a question from, I suspect, one of our students, although I could be wrong, how was it working with 50 Cent and Dead Man Running? <laughs> he was so nice to me, 50 Cent. In fact, I heard he only did it because I was in it, and I was terribly flattered about that. But um, he, the other bloke in it, uh, Philip, Philip, oh, what's his name? Phil, Phil, oh, oh, Bill, what's his name? Phil, he was in Grown Ups. Oh, somebody out there knows this. Phil Davis, that's oh, well him. Oh, done. Yes, Fantastic. Phil Davis. Oh, I just love Phil Davis. He, my whole scenes in uh, Dead Man Running was sitting in the chair with Phil Davis sitting opposite me, and we did nothing but laugh for two, for two days. Only took two days for me to film my bit. And he's got his gun pointed at me the whole time. And it was just joyful being with him because I, we had such fun working on grown-ups uh, together. Um, but 50 Cent, he was so courteous. He was so nice to me, so gentlemanly. Really nice, yeah. So one more from me and then I'm gonna open things mm. up to the, to, to the audience. Um, and, and I have to ask this because when I'm not being a deputy vice chancellor, <laughs> I work on accents. That's what oh. my academic work is. So, what accents that you've, because you've got this fantastic repertoire, have yeah. been the most <laughs> challenging? And, and how do you? The work hardest on that? one. I, we always have to, I don't know them off pad. I have to um, work on them with a coach. The hardest one was the Geordie one, the, the Vera one. Well, it's Northumberland, actually, it's not Geordie. Mm. Um, I found that uh, very, very difficult. And whilst I get, sometimes get a bit of stick for it, the locals all say it's accurate. So, um, I, so I'm going to listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> Always listen yeah, to the locals. Yeah. Now, talking of listening to the locals, I think there might be a couple of roving mics out there. Oh, the lights oh, have come up. Fantastic. Who shall we now? I've got somebody is very quick on the draw with a flat hat up there. Is this working? Yep. It sure is. Oh, it's Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> you need to come and see me over here. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you. About seven years ago, I launched uh, a drug treatment charity in Margate that you kindly came and opened for us. Oh. And you were yes. so fantastic at speaking to the great and the good from Kent, uh, Kent Council, uh, all of the staff. But you were just as engaged with the service users. So thank you very much for that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question. There's a moment in uh, Secrets and Lives where you turn on a sixpence from elation to despair in about two beats. In the cafe. And, ta and take us all with you. That is um, when the, the young lady is saying she's her daughter and she says, no, you, you, you're not my daughter. That's when she says, I've never been with a black man in my life, love. I'd have remembered. Well, my question was going to be, is that something that you use these acting techniques like sense memory or are you just so caught up in the improvisation that you just go with what's going on? Working with Mike Lee, you have to just go with the flow. Now then, the actual take they used in that film, 
Um, he shot it from way back, close up, um, from that side of the room, from this side of the room. We were working on that scene all day. But in the edit, I, he decided that two shot, because it was a two shot, the whole way through the scene is the one that he wanted to use. So we might have played that scene a dozen times uh, before that. Um, so there's an acting technique comes into play, um, but it has to be like it's the first time you've said it, like the first time you've remembered. It's the first time she remembers that occasion. Oh, my goodness. That could be a possibility. But it has to be the first time. Although we've done it several times. It's like working in the theatre. You know, you've got eight shows a week. You've got to make it the first time you've ever played it. Any of you, if you're telling somebody a joke that you've told a dozen times, every time you tell it, you want it to be the best version you've ever done. And it's the same, the same thing. You want it to be the best it can possibly be. You've obviously never heard me tell a joke. <laughs> Now, there was a lady just behind you somewhere, I think, with a hand up. We're being practical like Vera and keeping the mic in one place. I uh -huh. think I will go over here. Fantastic. Good evening, Miss Blithin. Thank Hello. you for coming to Canterbury again. The Grown Ups was filmed in Canterbury. It was. Yeah. Just down the road from me. Yes, that was great. Yeah. My, my first viewing of your, your filming. Uh, now, The Saving Grace is <coughs> going to be my favourite film. <laughs> Excuse me. Did you... Were you required to do the research for that? <laughs> <laughs> now, I thing. have told a porky about this, and I can't remember if I told a, a porky which, what the porky was. <laughs> um, I had tried it, so I might have said I hadn't before. I had tried it, but just once. It didn't agree with me. But it, the, the laughing does, does make you laugh. Yeah, but it, it's, I didn't like it. Was, um, I didn't like it. Mm. But in the film, no, um, those plants came under escort, I think, uh, police escort, and went away with police escort at the time of the, at the end of the shooting. Marijuana plants, uh, for those who haven't seen it. Yeah. Thank you. No, it made me sick. <laughs> Just, yeah, lady in the white here, thank you. Really good to hear you talk about your craft. My standout favourite of all of your films is London River. Um, which I'm not sure if a lot of people have seen and, and know about. What was it like working with that director in that part of London and with your, the other lead actor? What was that like? Um, London River is um, a film I'm, I'm rather proud of. Um, it wasn't widely distributed, so probably not a lot of you have seen it. It's, uh, it's a story about set at the time of the London bombings and um, two people come looking for their respective uh, the son and their daughter. Um, when I was asked to do it, um, my agent called and said, uh, um, Rashid Bouchereb, the director, writer and director, wanted me to be in this about the London bomb. I said, oh, no, God, a film about... It's only just happened. I'm really not interested. What, they're going to make some kind of fantastic actions? No, it's... it's powerful and the event was just awful they said well he's coming to London from Paris will you just meet him and I did go to meet him and I found him to be so sympathetic to um, the event and so sympathetic to you know to treating it uh, respectfully 
that um, I said, oh, gosh, yeah, I would like to work with you. I said, but I'm not available for a year. He said, I wait for you. <laughs> and uh, he did. And uh, it's a two-hander. It was just myself and a wonderful Malian actor, French Malian actor called Soti Gay Cuyate, who was just completely adorable to work with. He didn't speak English. I didn't speak French. We are just a smattering. But we got on so well um, with my schoolgirl French. I, I could get through to him. And some of it is spoken in French, uh, as you know. Um, and I've since worked with, um, with the director again on a film with Harvey Keitel and uh, um, Forrest Whitaker. Uh, another accent, uh, an Illinois accent <laughs> in that one. And a parole officer. Yeah. With a gun. <laughs> Anybody else over this side? <laughs> Oh, you're backwards and coming forwards. Let's see if the others were. Yep. Thank you. Where are you? I saw a hand. Fantastic. Thank you. I first saw you um, on the television in a program called Chance in a Million oh. <laughs> with Simon Callow. Yes. And I absolutely adored it. Um, I just wondered what your, your memories of that and would there ever be another one of it? I know it's a long time ago. <laughs> Thank you. I have to say I'm remembered more from that program than anything I have ever done in my entire career. Um, I, I, I was in a cave in Australia, someone, and somebody said, when you in Chancellor Million? <laughs> or in the jungle in Borneo. When you're in Charlton, <laughs> when you're in that thing with Simon Callow, people love that show. It was so silly, um, and it yeah, I think it was three series we did of that. Uh, there was some talk um, last year. Simon was sending emails off here, and there wouldn't it be nice to revisit those characters. Um, uh, but whether that'll happen or not, I don't know. They'd have to come up with a pretty good scenario for it to work. But it was a lot of fun doing that. It's with a studio audience as well, so it was great fun doing that. While we're getting a couple more hands up, um, <laughs> of course we've lost John Hurt just oh, recently. John, I was so upset to hear about John. I made a film with John Hurt. It was in Dublin, and it was called Night Train, and we filmed it in Dublin and uh, Venice. We went on the Orient Express. Um, except the scenes on the Orient Express were in York with sort of hairy <laughs> sort of, <laughs> sort of stagehands rocking the train in the studio. Um, John Hurt is, was the most wonderful, wonderful gentleman, brilliant actor, as we all know, and such a kind, good person. And... Uh, he felt like family. I, I, I just love the man. It's so sad that he's gone. Right. Who's next? Gather yourselves together. I've got one right on the fringes out here. Fantastic. Which actor have you worked with who is the least like the character they were playing with you? Oh, gosh, what a good question. Um, oh. Uh... Well, sometimes when you as villainous people generally turn out to be the sweetest, kindest. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, 
Shout some names of nasty people. Who? Michael? Oh, he's very sensible. You wouldn't think so. <laughs> One of the most beautiful... I'd never... I thought, I'm not going to like him singing. I was... Um, there was one thing. I, I was going to some big awards thing in Los Angeles. And I was all doled up. Someone lent me a frock, you know, some fashion house. And um, I was going to have to present one award. And it was all right. And I was all doled up. And then the, the reception called to my room and said... I said, oh, is my car here? They said, no, Miss Blessing, can you wait there? Somebody's coming up. I said, no, I'm ready, I'll come down. They said, no, please, Miss Blessing, I've been asked to tell you to wait in your room. I said, what, what, what's that? Anyway, up came someone from American BAFTA, and uh, she said to me, would you sit down? I said, what? Uh, what? She said, you're going to the uh, ceremony tonight? I said, yes, hosted by Whoopi Goldberg, yeah. She said, yeah. She's sick. <laughs> Will you host the show? <laughs> I said, don't be so ridiculous. I, 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 I don't notice the difference. <laughs> she says, no, there's a teleprompter. You, you can do... I said, I, she said, please, Miss Blethyn, another, I'm desperate. So I seem to get all the desperate. I said, I said oh, go on. And just one of the things, well, what's reminded me to say this, I did it and that, it all went fine. Was, I was standing at the side of the stage and Michael Crawford came on to sing a song. It was the most beautiful thing I think I'd ever heard. Have you heard him sing? Oh, well, I hadn't. Oh, I thought it was beautiful. And, and um, very sensible and charming man, sort of unlike... <laughs> Uh, Betty. <laughs> <laughs> Any yeah. more over here? Putting you on the spot. There we are, gentlemen near the back. Have you any tips for people who need to learn their lines and remember them? Uh, yes, understand the journey. Um, if you had to go from here to uh, uh, Claudia Street, South London, you wouldn't have a clue how to get there. You'd look at a map, wouldn't you? You'd, um, you'd look at a map and you'd see, you'd follow the route. The next time you went, you'd have a rough idea. You'd go wrong once, twice, but you'd have a rough idea. Until you go there, you sail all the way there. The more times you do it, you'll sail there with no mistakes. And then you'll find a more interesting route. And then you'll know where to stop for fuel and where to stop for refreshment. It's just understanding it, understand the journey. Lady mm. near the front here, and stick your hand up. Fantastic. Good evening to you. Um, we watched Ethel and Ernest over Christmas. Oh, wasn't it lovely? And we loved it, and we oh. wondered how you related to Ethel. Oh, it reminded me so much. I think it reminded a lot of us of our mums and uh, their lifestyle. But it so reminded me of my mum. And... Um, Raymond was, was at the studio when we recorded it, and when Jim Broadbent and I came out of the cubicle, uh, Raymond was there, and he was wiping tears away. He said it was like his parents were there again, and it was just the most humbling of experiences. I just loved that film. I loved it. 
And um, it's clear as day. I can remember my dad, in the, when I'd come in from school, having a wash in the kitchen. Mind you, we didn't have a bathroom, so it was the only place he, he could wash. But, um, and the coal being under the stairs. And, <laughs> and I just loved the tenderness with which uh, he told the story without milking it and without um, sensationalizing it. And, uh, and I learned a thing or two. I didn't know a doodle bug looked like that <laughs> till I saw the film. I thought it was like a, I don't know, that shaped. <laughs> mm. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. We've got one in the middle there with a the hat. I wanted to ask you, um, what was your, what was the favourite, a bit like Desert Island Discs, you know, if you can remember, uh, you took with you, you know, in your memories, oh. the favourite place, but the favourite part you've ever played. But I also wanted to know if there was a part that you would love to play, that you've mm. never been offered, but you would love to. Um, the only time I've hankered after a part, to be honest, is Mrs Bennett. Um, apart from that, I'm ambitionless. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, maybe it's laziness, I don't know. But I've never wanted the moon and the stars. I've only want what's just a little bit out of my reach, and if I try, I can reach it. Um, so I've, I might set myself up for disappointment if I crave too much. Um, but from the Desert Island Disc, my favourite song was Lay Me Low, John Tam's song, I just think he has the most beautifully haunting voice. And my uh, object was a karaoke machine. <laughs> 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 I've got a voice like a drain. Um, and, and my first agent would insist on sending me for musicals because <laughs> I was saying, there was this pretty little thing then. He'd go on, no, you'll, you'll be in that. And so I got through the, um, I got through into the audition room. It was at the Haymarket Theatre in London, the audition. And I could hear these beautiful soprano singers, wonderful singers, while I was waiting in line. And I came out, and uh, there's the bloke in the middle of the audience, you can't see, you're looking like this. They said, name? I said, oh, it's Brenda, Brenda Bethin. Um, what are you going to sing? I said, look, I, I won't bother. I said, <laughs> I said, I said, look, I, I've heard all the others. I've got a voice like a drain. I won't waste your time, but thank you, and I'm off. He says, no, Brenda, come back, come back. He says, don't waste your tube fare. Sing us a song. <laughs> so I said, oh, all right, what are you going to sing? I said, oh, um, papa. <laughs> he says, well, go ahead, Brenda. <laughs> so I said, um, papa, um, papa. <laughs> I've got braces on for effect. He said, that's the most delightful drain I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a recall for the dancing. So I went back. <laughs> Sorry, am I keeping it? Am I too late? So I went back for the dancing, and there was these tall dancers, their legs going up like this, you know. And then it was my turn. And he said to me, I want you all in line to walk towards me. <laughs> and I want sex. Give me sex. <laughs> Give me sex. And these dancers with their legs going kind of sort of walking through doing all this. And I somehow got out of opposition. I don't, and I went, what the fuck? 
said, he said, get off my stage. <laughs> that made me laugh all the more. <laughs> We're waiting, get off. <laughs> I, I think we can squeeze in one or two more little ones. I've got one in the front row here, right in the front row. Fantastic. Hello, have you Hello. got any thoughts on Hollywood and women and anything that you've noticed during your career? Uh, well, um, I remember when I first, uh, my first foray out there um, was uh, for um, River Runs Through It. And uh, I went into the makeup trailer. They said, now, what, what kind of lashes do you want? I said, pardon? <laughs> you know, you've got to have lashes. What, what kind of lashes do you want? You want top and bottom? I said, I don't want any lashes. No, you, you, no, no you got to have lashes, honey. I said, but I'm playing Presbyterian preacher's wife. <laughs> <laughs> Lashes, she's digging a trench one day. <laughs> I said, nah, come on, honey, you gotta have lashes. She doesn't want lashes. She doesn't want lashes. <laughs> I said, no, I don't, I don't want. So I was a bit surprised at the insistence on that, a little bit. Um, and uh, they're all so well groomed. I'm not, I'm nicely turned out usually, but the, um, each to their own, you know, that's what you like. That's, uh, I, well, never say never, all this uh, uh, cosmetic surgery, I don't go a bundle on, I'd rather see the real person, because I think age is beautiful too. And, um, you know, but who says, are they in tonight? Can I make an appointment? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I don't want to look like everybody else. Yeah. Mm. Is that what you meant? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One more. Yeah, just, oh, yep, that's great. Thank you. <laughs> What's the future hold for you? Ah, good question. Um, well, it's all to do with me dog, <laughs> Jack. Uh, he keeps jumping up. How do you solve that jumping up business? Um, but I, I'm probably doing another series of Vera, but that means my husband's got to look after Jack, the jumper. So, <laughs> a lady said to me on Ramsgate Beach this morning, that's the bounciest dog I've ever seen. <laughs> and she, she wasn't wrong. Um, it'd be nice to, um, uh, we're negotiating another series of Vera. They want to do, me to do several, but I'm gonna be on a Zimmer if I do many more of them. <laughs> Um, but that doesn't seem to matter these days. Um, I'd like to do more theatre. Um, I've read a couple of plays recently that um, a friend of mine is a producer and has got some ideas. Um, yes, I'd like to well, put my feet up, <laughs> come to places like this. <laughs> this is nice. There was um, somebody so. in the back row there, and I'm going to try and squeeze you in or near the back row. <laughs> yep. Um, what was the biggest lesson that you carried with you from drama school? The biggest? The biggest lesson that you carry with you now when you work from drama school? Um, that if... I don't know if that was at drama school or not. Um, everyone's interesting. That uh, you haven't got to be the most visual to be interesting, you don't have to push yourself forward, although um, making, 
when we were making a little voice, Michael Caine said to one of the actors, go on, get yourself forward, Gil. <laughs> to one of the actors who was pushing forward, go on, Gil, get your face in. <laughs> um, but that's just me, I'm just not like that. Be thorough, do your homework. And if you're, um, any, if there are any students here who, um, auditioning for parts, don't just learn the part. Make sure you know the play thoroughly. Make sure you know the time it, it, when it was written, what the world was like when it was written, what all the surrounding areas of it, so that you come well equipped for it. And, and never find yourself more important than the character you're playing. I think is the, the, the most thing. The, the character and it, at that moment, is more important than, than you. Well, mm. tonight, you've been very important to us <laughs> and you've been fantastic answering all these questions. Oh. Thank you so much for joining us. We wish you, you every success with Vera and whatever else might come next. Ladies and gentlemen, Brenda Blessing. The full video of that In Conversation and all our other In Conversations is available on the University of Kent's YouTube channel. You'll be more than welcome to come to the University for our next In Conversations and many other public events which you'll find on our website. Thanks for listening.